we've got a episode here. Um, I've got my brother Dion and Asher. And today we're going to be exploring what persecution is, what that looks like. Um, and so Dion, talk to me a little bit about your experience with persecution or, well, not maybe your personal experience, but when I say as a, as a Western man, um, we don't have exposure to persecution. We just have this mentality in yeah. our head. Um, and that can develop over time. Um, so just talk to me about what do you think persecution is, and is that how it always has looked? Has that changed over time? Yeah, um, well, first, nice to meet everybody. Um, and persecution for me has always looked like uh, suffering for um, being a Christian, like your life um Persecution for me has always been um, suffering for your life as a believer. So what that means is um, the way you believe about ethics and morality and the way you are or the, what you believe about Christ and people. Um, when I say persecuting, either that be physically or um, even professionally because you're a follower of Christ and um, but not suffering in the case of sin so i know uh, for example in scripture it talks about like if um, i believe it's in peter when peter says if you're suffering let it not be as an evildoer or like a thief um, but being persecuted for uh righteousness sake so that's what it's looked like to me and if i look through scripture and as i examine like other countries of uh, people being persecuted it's because of their outwardly displaying that their follower of Jesus, sharing the gospel and facing facing pushback or someone in their circle converting to Christianity when they were uh, another religion and then being persecuted because of that. So um, that's what persecution has looked like to me yeah. over, the, over the years. And I don't think that's I think it's changed a little bit, but not but not much. You know, I always thought it was actually. Maybe a little bit. I thought it was uh, just being martyred hmm. in the beginning for being a Christian. Yeah. But yeah, that's I... changed a little bit. Um, okay. So so persecution being someone someone's uh, following Christ, which we know other religions do face persecution, mm-hmm. but nothing close to Christianity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so because they're following Christ, they face some kind of persecution. So what would that... In your mind, what could that look like? Uh, so if you say, someone says, I'm being persecuted, what do you think is happening to them? You know, are they thrown in jail or are they beat? Well, like, what, what is the... Yeah, um, when, I, when I hear somebody's being persecuted, to me, it looks like that they are being imprisoned, they are being physically beaten, or um, they have uh, been, as you say you know, sometimes blacklisted from going to certain places because they were outwardly evangelizing. That to me is uh, persecution, not just, um, you know, someone saying bad things about you because you're a Christian or, you know, that uh, or just not just verbal abuse. I think persecution, um, it does cost or it's costing that person something. That's what it looks like to me when it, someone yeah. says they're being persecuted. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it, and it's a little bit more in depth. I like uh, what you're saying because my, I think my thought process, um, for me at least, was up to the point of someone suffering, using the general term suffering, yep. um, and then because of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily know what that looks like because I don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody yeah. a few years ago who'd gone through anything, so it's... Uh, and I think that's maybe some of the distinction and what we hope to to change with this podcast is really connect people with the stories and with what's going what's really going on um, in the persecuted world because otherwise that is what you default to you just yeah. well it's some kind of general suffering maybe they're getting imprisoned because we've heard stories about being imprisoned mm-hmm. um, and so yeah thank you I think that's well put um, what about you. Asher, do you have any any thoughts on this, or what? What are your what were your views? Have they changed? I think my views changed regarding persecution probably 
about 15 years ago when I, well, I've always known, like, coming from Pakistan about persecution. That's one of the reasons, like, my family left in the 80s from Pakistan because even though you, like, my parents, they were both working, you know, my mom was a teacher at a Christian school and then my dad was, you know, just working at a secular job doing sales or whatever, pharmaceuticals. But they ended up leaving because they started to face, you know, persecution. And um, most of the time it is uh, religious persecution. You know, it is persecution because there's a name stamped on you and that name is Jesus, you know. So what that looks like is, you know, the world hates Jesus and it his name draws intensity. You know, it draws um, strong opposition. Yeah, so what ends up happening is there's like a demonic influence of, my understanding is there's a demonic influence behind the scenes and it's driving men who are not saved, who have a blind, you know, who have blinders on their eyes and they're, they're essentially just veiled in, in, uh, being blind and then they're able to, you know, see anything that uh, somebody that has the name of Jesus on them. They just he they just want to do something bad to them because they hate them. It's just like this internal driving of hate that's against people that have Jesus stamped on them. You know, so so my family left and then um, you know we came here to the United States and there was persecution uh, like attached with like you know racism so you know you can experience persecution in different ways so you know like for example in China you know if you're not part of the communist regime then the Uyghurs you know for example are subsumed because they believe in Jesus and they're Christians and then there are Uyghurs that are Muslims you know and they're facing persecution because of the opposition to communism, you know, and so in Pakistan, it's Muslims against against Christianity, and then they're against Hindus. Hindus are against, you know, so religious persecution happens that way, but it's also connected with uh, other forms, like it could be related. Like if you're in India, you know this. You've been to India. You see different classes. You see the rich, and then you see the the Dalits, yeah, you know, yeah, the ones yeah. that are on the way bottom. Yeah. And they, they they pretty much will kiss your feet. They'll lick your shoes if you tell them to just to get money or food or anything like that. So there's that combined with that hate for Jesus. Yeah. And then it manifests in different ways. So that's a really cool way to put it. And, and you're better positioned than either of us in many ways to kind of describe some of the other nuances of persecution. Um, but what you said about there's this uh, internal drive against persecuted, uh, to persecute or to oppose Christianity. Right. And it's amazing. I, I love how you put that because you would expect in a vacuum of, you know, of whatever moral vacuum or whatever that um, there would be equal persecution. You know, if, if someone doesn't believe the same way uh, as you, then there's opposition, which you see to an extent. But there's a disproportionate amount of opposition for Christians, and we see that. Um, it's not, you don't see it on the news or, or anything, but those of us that actually interact with countries that have this persecution, you see how Christianity, they're, they're treated badly. There's treated as as less than second class citizens whatever and just for our listeners who who may not understand could you kind of tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit about um the difference of maybe a, a christian might face that in pakistan that he wouldn't necessarily face just being a christian here yeah so uh and the, i've even seen this with like my pastor at my church because he's from india but the normal thing is for Christians in Asia is that they usually are in churches or in schools or whatever it is. And there's always security and there's always like a compound that you live in. Mm. And it's always closed in, like fenced in or closed. And then there's always some kind of gate 
and uh, there has to be some form of security there, you know. And obviously the security's paid enough to just to watch the door. But I think if intense persecution came from some Muslim outside, they could easily pay the security guard and the guard might leave unless he's a Christian himself, you know. Yeah. But that's the kind of uh, thing that you see in Asia is like even my family in um, in Lahore, you know, if, if I go there, which I'm planning to, they, you know, I would be going behind this compound and it's a school and they do Bible translation. They try to help the peop- the kids that are, you know, they don't, they don't know how to read and write, you know. So they're teaching them through teaching them English and teaching them the word of God. And, and so, you know, but it's all behind a compound mm-hmm. compared to here. We can just go to a church and it's, Everything's great, you know, just walk in. Yeah. You know, you can even walk in when it's not Sunday and the church is open usually. You know, somebody's in the office, you yeah. know. Yeah. Nobody's going in and robbing the church, generally speaking, you know. But in but with Islam in India and Asia, it's not like that. It's like they'll steal, they'll burn the building down, as, as we've seen with Manipur and other places, you know. Yeah. So. It's yeah, crazy. It, it's a, and it's a crazy concept to think about here because it's not they're not in a compound because they're rich and elite and special. Right. You know I mean? <laughs> they're actually not that that rich at all. Yeah. Know? In fact, a lot of these communities are lower income. Yeah. Because, because they're not allowed to have some of the nicer jobs or, or mm-hmm. things in, in certain areas. So, um, yeah. And you, we literally look at last month uh, an example of why they have these walls when you have um, all the uh, Islam, there was a Quran that was found desecrated outside of this uh, Christian village. Yeah. And then you've got all the um, Muslim mosques mm-hmm. doing a call on their loudspeakers telling people to come and riot, basically. And they, all these, you know, I think they, I, the number I heard, 5,000 men ended up burning 11 different locations in that, yeah. in that city. Um, and even, so even with these walls and stuff, there, there's attacks coming. And it's just... Man, that's a completely different mindset um, than what we face here in America. It's, right. It's so free. Yeah. You, you, when you grow up that way, you kind of just get this idea that the whole world is like this. Because this is all I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I think it's important. We hear these stories and we realize, hey, the, the world's not like this. And, yeah. and people face different types of persecution just because um, you're not living in a prison right now doesn't mean that you're not facing severe social pressures and persecution. And just the fact of growing up and you every day you're going in and out of that compound or whatever, yeah. even a, from a child up, you're, you're realizing this is different. We're, we have to be extra secure because people don't like us. Like that, that puts pressure on you mentally. Right, um, right. Right. Would you agree? I you. Yeah, and the the other type of persecution that's going on, obviously, is is uh, I mean, you see it differently in China because of communism. Yeah, they do things completely because it's a controlled state, you know. So even their persecution is just arresting people because of class, because of they have Jesus on the on the wall instead of the great supreme prime minister Xi Jinping. You know, they don't have him up there. And because they have a picture of Jesus, they think that Christianity is going to like take over their their country and destroy it, everything, their heritage and all of that. So what they end up doing with China is, and I, I listen to a lot of stuff about China because there's a billion people involved, yeah, you know, yeah, a billion yeah. and a half. So, uh, but you know, they're they're taking them and just putting them in prisons, and then they're using. Just like Planned Parenthood does here with babies, they're doing stuff over there with if somebody needs a kidney, they'll pay for it, and they'll go to this prison and they'll take a kidney from a Christian or from a uh, a, a Uyghur Muslim, you know, and they'll do a surgery and then they put them right back into the prison. They don't treat them. They just put them a bandage, you know, put a bandage on them. And just hope that they they still live and are vi- viable for them to use later, you know. Good. So that's the other persecution that's yeah. happening. So yeah. So, um, it's it's crazy to me how these atrocities. You know, you have all these atrocities 
going on in the world, and that's and this is where um, we we hear a lot. Uh, Kajan talks about how persecution has a lot of different forms, um, but it's the greatest humanitarian crisis of our age, and that's really true. It's you can get you can talk about our planet, you can talk about you know wars or all these different things that are going on, um, but really some of the most tragic and things that really need our our support and assistance, and that is those under religious persecution. Um, it's just insane the the spectrum of things. You've got people that are in prison camps being harvested for their organs. Right. You've got people that are treated like second class citizens and aren't. Um, allowed to to do certain things or go to marry certain people, have certain jobs. There's just this general oppression on them. And then you got other areas um, where if you mention, if anybody has an inclination like Afghanistan that you're a Christian, they'll kill you on the street. <clears throat> and there's no uh, no repercussions for that. In fact, they're encouraged to do that. So. It's uh, it's all over the world. It looks different in different places, and that's what I wanted to explore a little bit was how broad persecution can look compared to our normal, as as Dion was saying, um, our normal approach at persecution when we don't understand what is suffering, mm. you know, because we hear, oh, Christians are suffering, but we don't know what suffering looks like. We don't know about the prison camps. We don't know about mm-hmm. the social separation and everything else. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, some yeah. No, I I agree with that. Um, I think um, a lot of what you guys just shared it really does show a systematic uh, approach when it comes to persecuting uh, people, whether that be, um, like you said what communities they get segregated from certain areas because of their faith. Um, I've even seen countries where um, even those uh, Christians are living in poverty and um, like you said, second class citizens because of them outwardly confessing Christ or affiliated with Christianity in some way. Um, And then also uh, I was going to say, you know, I think especially in the West, since we don't experience, we have a freedom to practice our faith here, suffering may look different to a lot of Christians here than it does to other believers from other places that are being persecuted. So, um, uh, you know, and I just think that we uh, it's good that, uh, you know, having this conversation now because we need to be aware and the cost um, that it is that it um, is being a, a Christian, because it says if we desire the word says if we desire to be uh, to live a godly life, we will be persecuted. So uh, we have to prepare our, ourselves for that. So that way, when it comes, we, we know we're not surprised. So, yes, I like that. So and you bring up a good point, though. Um, what is persecution? So if we look at what persecution looks like and we're called to be persecuted as Christians, mm-hmm. Should we be doing anything to stop persecution? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I believe it is. Uh, I think it's good to stand up for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Um, but I know Christ also says rejoice when they say all, false, all kinds of false things against us and accuse us. Um because our reward is great in heaven, you know, when we are being persecuted for righteousness sake, as I said before earlier, not because of something that we're doing wrong, but um, we, I, I, you know, our God is, is he's a righteous God. And and yes, um, we I think it's our job to stand up and to be to cling to our faith and to speak out against persecution. But. We shouldn't necessarily try to stop it because it is going to happen. So um, but we it are, it is our job to continue to be that salt and light because we are the light of the world. You know, we have to um, we have to be set apart for Christ. So 
Uh, that's a that's but really a, that's really a I guess a difficult question to answer if we should try to stop it necessarily. I don't think we should try to stop it, but we should speak up for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for righteousness, though. So, yeah, John, you kind of opened up a bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not a it's not a bad question, but it's it's something that is goes into philosophy. And you brought me you brought it to mind uh, uh, just thinking about the readings of Tolstoy and his theory of like nonviolence when he talks in relation to his uh, relationship with God. And then he brings up the example, uh, this is in Matthew 26. Uh, he says, you know, if we look at the idea expressed through the life of Jesus, he said it in a phrase, not as I want, but as you want. Essentially, not my will be done, but yours. So because we're in this world and we're living for God, God does not want us to even respond to atrocities because he is sovereign over all creation, and because he is sovereign over all creation, he, if he allows somebody to come into your house, you know, and they're about to kill your family or your children, as intense as that is, it's not something that you need to warrant a response to stop. Like he goes to the extreme far side of, of nonviolence, you know, in any form, you know, where you have to respond. But I think as Christians, and, and, and if we look at Jesus's life, he didn't respond to the violence that was done to him, whether he was punched or kicked or beaten, you know, by somebody, because again, they were under the influence of demons. They saw righteousness standing before them and they couldn't interpret what that looks like because they're blind. Yeah. And, because they're blind and they can't interpret what righteousness and unrighteousness in them is, they respond by hating unrighteousness. And it also takes me back to the example of, do you remember King David had a son who was in love with his sister? And I'm reminded of that example where he has her come into his room because he pretends to be sick. And then he forces himself upon her. And then he said he loved her with such intensity that he violated her. But then right after that, because of his sin, the conviction fell in and this condemnation. And he responded by saying, I hate you. Go away from me. And that's the thing that we see happening with violence in the world. You know, that's what happened with Jesus. Like, the way that they responded to him in violence is so intense, but they can't explain why it's happening, and they're slaves to that violence. Whereas we, as followers of Christ, we're not given to that type of control from the enemy where we have to give in to violence. But I will say I had to, even after reading uh, Tolstoy's stuff on nonviolence, I had to come to the middle of the road because... If somebody came into my house, would I respond? Uh, maybe I would respond not so much as to take their life, but I might respond in making sure that they're not able to take someone else's life, you know, whether it's stopping them or just delaying them or so we can escape or whatever it needs to be, you know, so. No, I, I love that you brought that up um, because that really leads into – a mental battle, if you will, that I went through, um, have gone through before and and went through after going to Manipur. Um, so for those that don't maybe know, Manipur, India is a area of strife right now because you have um, a lot of political stuff going on, a lot of good people on both sides, but a genocide is happening. Um, a smaller group of radical people are, are mo moving, um, doing some crazy stuff and trying to absolutely wipe another tribe off the planet. And that tribe, they're called the uh, Kuki tribe of Manipur, the Kukizumi tribe, they're threatening to be wiped, wiped off the planet. And they're defending themselves. 
right? They they have barely any weaponry. They've got single barrel shotguns against guys with AK-47s and grenades and bulletproof vehicles, and and they're doing whatever they can to survive. Now, if you're gonna sit here and tell me that. As a man, if that wasn't happening to your home, your family, your relatives, mm. that you wouldn't stand up and, and try to, to defend them, I don't think I would believe you, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's because I'm too carnal of a man to understand, mm-hmm. but I, I know that if that was happening to my family, I would do whatever I could to um, whatever I could to, to defend my home. So going there, uh, I... I did some weird things because I, I, in some ways, I did risk my life. It maybe wasn't um, as much of a risk as a lot of those other people, but there were roads I went through, places I went where I, I could have died or more likely been arrested because I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, and afterwards, I really thought, I didn't have time to think through it then, but afterwards, I really thought through it. And, and I, I came to the conclusion that as a Christian, I am called to sacrifice my life. I'm called to give my life to Christ, whatever that means. So that means dying before my enemies. Mm. I will. I need to be happy to do that. Um, but there's another side to this where I'm also called as a man to protect my family. Mm. Because, that, I mean, we look at examples of God's protection over Israel, God's protection... God is a picture of masculinity beyond what we could ever be, but still is what we aspire to be. We aspire to be like Christ. We get our um, any good masculine traits from God the Father and Christ. So I say that to say I, I think we are compelled to protect the innocent, to protect the weak. Mm-hmm. So even though I should be willing to give up my own life, I should also be willing to give up my own wife in the defense of the innocent, in defense of those that are being abused. Um, and that's where I come to the, the stage. Now, maybe not everyone comes to that conviction. There may be some people that are completely dedicated to nonviolence. And I, I think of the, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Saw, Saw? Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. An absolutely incredible story of a man that just went above and beyond and, and never pulled a trigger, never shot anyone, and saved countless lives. So I'm not saying God couldn't use someone or, or use a convention like that. Um, neither am I saying are there multiple truths. <laughs> I just believe I'm right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think God can use anything. And maybe one day I'll find out I'm wrong. But I... Oh, and I hope I hope there is a balance. Like I hope we do have, um, but it's something that I think we as men need to think through, and we need to decide: Am I going to stand up and defend other people and willing to lay down my life? Am I not willing to lay down my life? I'm going to be, you know, always defend myself. Um, these I think these are important things for us men, especially, to think through. Um, not that women don't have to think through it, but I think it's a, spe- a specific role that we play um, that we have to think through that. And I think that plays into Christianity. I do think we are called to defend the weak. Um, and we need to start thinking of persecuted believers as family. Because we are one, if we are yeah. really are one body in Christ, we need to be defending and protecting our family, supporting them. And they shouldn't be feeling alone in this. Um, does that mean Christians shouldn't face persecution? No, we should. Yeah. Uh, because we should be so bold and so outgoing that we are... Um, drawing all that satanic attention to ourselves. However, that doesn't mean just because a Christian is being bold and choosing to do that, he's much more likely to yeah. be bold if he knows he's got a, a support group saying, hey, if you get in trouble, we're there for you. Yeah. We're there for your family. Um, and that's what I think people don't, they don't finish their thought process because people have come to us and said, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but I'm not. I don't. I think we. Sh- God did call us to per- to be persecuted, so I don't think what you're doing is right. I don't think they finish the thought process. 
when yeah. when they think you know there is a support group that we're called to have yeah. and just because we're not raiding a prison and dragging people out of jail and trying to shoot up a government yeah. because they're persecuting Christians that doesn't mean we're not there supporting them that we're helping their family we're giving them places to stay when they get out we're helping keep them from being arrested if yeah, possible yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so that they can continue to preach because then they be more bold um, and in the this is a t- uh, for another t- uh, time but there is a huge correlation with Christians that are bold and don't have a support group uh, versus ones that do have a support group. Because if they don't have people supporting them, they don't last. Mm-hmm. Either they are killed or more likely they they hide their Christianity or they convert back to their old faith yeah. because they can't handle the pressure of persecution alone. Because we're not meant to. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, uh, I like what you said. Um I don't think defending the church or your family um, is a bad thing, even if we're called to be persecuted because uh, you're not harboring this hatred for other people and ready to fight. You know, that's not the first response or going out uh, to try to start a war against people who are persecuting. But uh, you are defending, uh, you know, like you said, the weak, you're defending those who can't defend themselves. And at the same time, you're not forsaking Christ. Like even if the case was you were overpowered and they're like, um, renounce Christ, you won't do that. You know, but you're standing up um, for your brothers and sisters. We're called. Yeah, we're one body and we're supposed to make sacrifices for each other. And um, if one part of the body is hurting, another, uh, you know, another one is so like, uh, I think there's a difference between, as I said before, looking uh, to start, uh, you know, violence and another thing of defending those who can't defend themselves. And um, I'm trying to remember you said something else, too, but. um, uh, You're right. Uh, Some people are like, well, we're called to be persecuted. And um, so it's wrong that you're speaking up for them. But I think. Like Asher said, there's a balance um, because uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, uh, but I'm kind of in the middle as well. Like, uh, where where do you draw the line of of being attacked and not doing anything, and where do you say, okay, no, the Lord wants me to die, and you don't do anything, you know, and I think there is a time to be silent and there's a time to, to speak up. So, uh, but I guess my question would be, and anybody can answer this, uh, um, you know, what should be uh, a Christian's response to being persecuted? Um, like an Asher can answer this or, or, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, or uh, John can, but. What is should be a Christian's first response to being perse- persecuted? I think when you said, um, you know, we come to the middle of the road, I was reminded of Paul. And he his uh, purpose was to go to Rome, his final purpose in the book of Acts. And then there was a prophecy that was done right in front of him. They took the belt and then they tied his hands. And they said, if you go, you're going to be led this way. The Spirit expressly spoke. Was the Spirit telling Paul to avoid persecution at that point? Or was the Spirit warning him that this is your death? This is where you're going? And that's a question that Paul answered and said, no, I still have to go to Rome regardless of if I'm in chains or not. And which means he is going to suffer persecution. But the church was divided on that because the church did not want him to go. And, you know, they said you shouldn't go because the Lord has shown us that this is what's going to happen. So, you know, to answer that question, how do we respond to persecution? It really depends on what the individual and then depends on what God is saying to them and their conviction. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's about it's about your conviction. And John said this earlier. He said, 
I know in my mind I'm right, you know, <laughs> I'm right yeah. about this yeah. <laughs> until yeah. I get there and then God yeah. tells me I'm not right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but the truth is, the, the true balance is that we are not to be causing violence by taking guns and just yeah. roaming the mm-hmm. streets, like we see random violence happening in the United States for no reason, it's injustice they're responding to, but they're not, they're just... Random yep. violence, you know, because yep. they want to. Yeah, yeah. But we're not called to do that. We're called to pray. Yeah. And if persecution hits our door, we respond with the spirit and conviction that God has given us. In John, he would respond, and he yeah. said he's right. And that's what the Bible does say. It says, let each man be convinced in their own mind that they're correct, because mm. ultimately we are going to answer to God. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. So if John feels he needs to respond, and, and I'm using, I always use extreme ex- examples, I'm sorry. <laughs> John responds and he, he shoots somebody at his door because they're about to commit violence in his house. Whereas I might respond and just disable the person. Yeah. You might respond, Dion, by just doing some wrestling move and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> incapacitating them yeah. in some way, you know. But the point is, we committed, we didn't. We didn't seek out this violence. Yeah, yeah. And God is not holding that murder or that that act yeah. where he killed somebody or that we disabled somebody. He's not holding that against us as sin. And so, but yeah, the, the only answer, I mean, that's yeah. a tough question when Paul comes before that. And he could have yeah. left because the Spirit told him ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, there are many times, sorry, I don't mean to keep no, going, no, that's but it, that's it. there are many times when Jesus slip through the crowd. Yep. They're about to throw him off a cliff. Yep. Should he have just died right then and there? Mm. No, because yep. that wasn't the time and he yep. knew. So notice he responded with the spirit and conviction and he used some superpowers to slip <laughs> through. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I yeah, that's that's a good answer. I think that um you like you said, um each of us must wrestle with the conviction. And then also, how is God going to be glorified in this situation? Because ultimately, we're not doing it for our own gain, but for the uh, sake of uh, Christ and then also loving our brother and sister. Because if we're not going to be a voice or, um, you know, or walk with our own brothers and sisters in Christ, then who is? Because the world's not going to do it. So, um, you know, we, we talked about earlier how, uh, the government is singling out Christians and not doing anything. Authorities are not protecting. They're called to serve and protect, but they they um, they only protect and serve certain people as long as this is not attached to their name. And then they make, uh, you know, if they if they're paid or if they're um, facing some sort of uh, direct orders from people above them not to, then they'll turn a blind eye to it. So if we're not going to walk alongside our brothers and sisters who are suffering, you know, who is so. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate the views and stuff. And, um, sometimes it's easy to, we can talk about things in the, in the general aspect, but here's a practical example. Last month, one of our, one of, uh, voice of Christians missionaries, uh, he was in the middle of baptizing. Just an amazing evangelist. This guy's just on fire. He's in the middle of a baptismal service at this little lake that they were, they were at, and police came and arrested him for proselytizing Christ. He was in prison for a day, had some friends come and talk to the police. I don't know if they gave him some bribes, what, mm-hmm. but they, they were able to convince them to le- let him go. So should those friends have come and done that were they wrong to stop the persecution (laughs) i don't uh, okay i'll give my opinion i don't think they were wrong because like they're what they weren't giving him a choice them a choice to say hey stop following christ they were just going to rescue their brother out of uh, you said jail right he was yeah so uh but yeah i don't think in any way that was stop following christ and we'll let him go um, I'm thought I'm thinking of the example of you know obviously Jesus does say that we're to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and then at the same time, you know, 
There's a, there's another scripture that Jesus says that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealings than the sons of light. And he's referencing how humans that are not saved or not Jewish, you know, that know about Messiah. Um, and I'm trying to give that context in the right way. <laughs> but when he says that, he's talking about that people in this world are more shrewd when they want to do business. They make back deals and they do things, you know, to get around things. Okay. In the same way, that example you just gave, it's perfectly legit for Christians across the world. And this happens all the time in Asia and China. You bribe somebody or you give somebody something because if you think about it, that police officer just made a decision on a whim and arrested somebody and he could have him in jail for 50 years, mm -hmm. you know, if nobody does anything, right? But because there was awareness and, and somebody just paid him a thousand or 500 rupees, whatever, and we can get him out. Yeah, let's do that because that way the work of God is continuing for, we're supposed to use these systems and change that i'm not saying we're gonna oppose all systems but in these little instances where a guard a police got somebody on a whim let's get him back out okay whatever we can do i mean yeah. that god is not against that there's no way yeah and just and this isn't necessarily trying to debate the morality of bribing a, a police officer right, right? of course um, <laughs> and because you and I understand there's a complete cultural difference between bri bribing an officer in Pakistan and bribing an officer here, here. In the US, you know? exactly <laughs> it's completely different it's different um, yeah. it's expected there but anyways yeah so the um, the, the main point is should the friends have tried to do anything and of course we would say yes and in fact um here in the u.s if there was anything that we could do i'm bringing you back to a family member you find out um that your for some reason your sister got arrested mm. for doing something that you believe was for christianity even even yeah. though as possible that seems is if, if you found out that your sister had been talking to people about uh, God at her workplace. Yeah. Somebody had filed a hate crime. Yeah. She gets arrested. You tell me you wouldn't go to that prison and say, yeah. what is going on? I, I need my sister out of here. Mm -hmm. um, and you'd be right for doing so. So, yes, we do need to be – we need to – if, if – the Western culture needs to stop thinking of, of persecution as this vague – yeah. area that doesn't have any practical application yeah. and people need to go through it because God said we would because that's not the case if you want to put yourself through persecution um, be my guest but there's no Christian on the planet that's trying to get persecuted yeah, that's right. but they are trying to spread the gospel yeah. they're trying to um, share and disciple and grow grow the church and because of that, they're facing persecution. Yes. And God said that would happen. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't help them out. That doesn't mean we don't support them. We don't let them know what's going on. So I, I love how you guys are putting this, and I, I completely agree um, that uh, we obviously, I, of course, I would agree because I have a <laughs> part of doing this. But um, yeah, I appreciate the, the the debate. So any other what any other thoughts on? Um, Maybe how, if it has, your view of persecution is changing or has changed over the last few years or even during this conversation or anything that you would like to put out, um, Dion, uh, just to people that wouldn't and, and Asher as well. Yeah, I think my, uh, my view has changed um, even as we're having this conversation. I think God gave me a picture of, you know, we all know this, all three of us, is that there are people all across the world right now that do videos, that do things, um, and and they're kind of pioneering into new territories, okay? Like there are some guys, some of them are Christian, but they'll go to different places and they'll eat things that nobody would even think about eating, okay? And I just saw like a video of like the Philippines where, you know, the people are so poor that they take trash food trash and then they rinse it off and then they recook the food trash 
and either sell it to the poor or they'll eat it, you know, for food. It's like, um, it's so intense, but people are doing extreme things in today's world to, um, to raise funds or to do something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think the church is missing out on that type of stuff because we have, we have the best stories in the world. Yeah. We have the best lives in the world, the most, the biggest adventure in this life that we're living and we're living all for Christ. And it was showing me a picture during you guys talking that, you know, maybe we should bring more awareness to persecution. If we were right on the hot spots where persecution's happening during the burnings and the fires, and we were recording and posting it, it would maybe bring more visibility to the world. And I think we need to head in that direction as believers to be more bold. I'm not saying we're going to jump in and go to Afghanistan right now in the mountains and go to Kabul and just, you know, just talk to the terrorists there. But but I am saying that if we can bring visibility more uh, to the persecuted, that that raises the alarm and wakes up the church more than it has, you know, in these days. So that's all. That's all I have. That's awesome, because I, I think you almost get, um, how, how many, you don't see a lot of pictures or videos of car wrecks as they're happening, right? Mm-hmm. You see them afterwards, because nobody's thinking of recording or whatever, mm-hmm. and you see that same phenomenon in a lot of um, a lot of events happening throughout the world, even yeah. even the first, uh, and, then, and then when people do start recording, um, especially in a lot of these countries, stuff gets censored really, really badly, really quick, yeah. and... Because of that, because you have this empty space of videos and pictures and things, um, people start believing it's not true, or right. they never yeah. e- accept yeah. the fact that there's truth behind it, or or that it's that serious. Um, and so you you do have a huge problem there, and that is something that would be amazing to see solved. And one of um, I know Voice of Christians' problems is it can be difficult to go and get the pictures and videos we need. Sometimes we're relying on I mean, everybody has a cell phone, um, but not everybody knows how to take a picture. If you know what I mean, yeah. like it's yeah. blurry pictures or it's very poor quality and stuff that you can't um, post. Or if you do post, nobody's going to look at it because right. it's tough. Um, and so just having people that are willing, I, I think about storm chasers. People, you know, exactly. there's people that yeah. they run around, they yeah. they record, they do it for the news or or or, or whatever. Um, but just having people that are interested on in going on these trips, man, what a what a cool way to to help support the church. Would, there's a lot right? of yeah. there's a lot there's different ways that we can support, and we always say prayer. Um, but it's cool hearing these practical ideas uh, of things that we could do. That's a great idea. Any closing thoughts, Dion? <laughs> uh, I know you you asked me uh, how how has my views changed on persecution over the years, and um. Uh, you know, I guess years ago before for me, it was uh, thinking that only extraordinary men who were like, you know, uh, great speakers or in these high positions, like in any Christian organization were being persecuted. But um, seeing uh, that I'll use, for example, in Acts 4.13, uh, when it says uh, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. When I look at a believer's life, and regardless of what vocation, if they're rich, poor, and they're being, um, they're being, their life as a Christian is being recognized by their attackers, and they're facing persecution, um, it just shows me that they're dedicated, like to their faith. And when the persecution comes, um, like I, we, you guys are sharing stories, and with even with um, you know VOC, like I've seen that these people are living for Christ, and they're they're just um, they're bold in their faith, and they're not willing to like they're not willing to to kind of like flee from the persecution, even if it threatens their their jobs, if it, you know, threaten their families. And like, um, my view is, is changed. Like, as I said before, I just think that, um, for us as believers that, um, 
Um, I'm trying to figure out a way of wording because this topic is 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 a lot. It's really big. So that I don't have to be in these countries to be persecuted. I just need to make sure that my li- I'm living my life as he did here. And I need to be ready when it comes because we are called to suffer. And I just don't think that we are in the Western context. Now I'm talking, we're ready for that type of persecution. So seeing the, um, the awareness that I'm seeing in other places. Yeah. I agree with Asher. Like it's good that, um, these videos, these pictures are being taken and we're showing that there, these things are happening. So when people from the outside of the Christian circle look, they're like, no, yeah, this is happening to a select group of people. It's not just happening to everybody the same way. But I think that also we can't think that every little thing that happens to us uh, is is persecution. If it's like um, just if, unless we really know what that looks like. We know we've been trying to define that or we've been defining that here in this conversation now. But um it's just showing me uh, over the years, my view has changed is because I'm seeing more of what persecution is going to look like or what it does look like in the life of a believer. And uh, I just think that um, or I know that our life, uh, uh, we need to love him more than everything else, because, I mean, it will happen. It will happen. So sorry if I dragged or if I if I my answer was a little bit uh, dragged on. But uh, I was just trying to figure I was just trying to see. Or trying to um, uh, say how it's changed for me because I haven't been a believer for 10 years. So it's only been, I think, about eight, seven years. Um, so uh, this is this is, this topic for me is it's really on my heart now, um, and I'm trying to learn more of what persecution is. And that's it. I yeah. guess that's it. That's my answer. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that is um. It is, it's hard as a uh, as an American to even be concerned with things that are outside of your sphere of pressure. Yeah. Um, and then you start hearing stories and things, and, and this is for the people. Not everyone's going to be interested by this topic, but this is for people that are interested, and God is laying, because God is laying something on your heart um, to, to move, to do something. And uh, persecution, I think, is coming to America. In some ways, it is here because there's lots of different types of persecution, and the first as- aspect of that is social rejection. Yeah. And we're we're facing that. It's a very it's a soft persecution. It's a social rejection, um, and and that's unless we have a big change, that's just going to keep growing over time. So I think it really benefits Americans on a very practical sense to start understanding what persecution looks like and how. Some Christians are surviving it, and some Christians are caving to it, because that's a big thing that you see. Um, and so, yeah, it was good. I'm glad we talked about this. Um, well, definitely a conversation. We're going to continue because there's a lot more that can be said, especially about uh, the persecution that happens to um, Muslim Christian converts in America, and and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that can be said here, but. Uh, probably don't ha- we don't have time today, but man, I just want to thank you both uh, for coming here and having this conversation with me. I look forward to the next time we get to. So thank you everyone for listening to uh, Voice Under Fire, and uh, we'll. Uh...